It was nighttime when she awoke. The boy's whimpering had stopped. All you could hear was the engine of the bus and the snoring of passengers. Makina could never be sure of what she dreamed, in the same way that she couldn't be sure of places where the map said it was until she'd gotten there, but she had the feeling she dreamed of lost cities. Literally, lost cities inside other lost cities, all ambulating over an impenetrable surface. She looked out at the country mushrooming on the other side of the glass. She knew what it contained, its colors, the penury, and the opulence. Hazy memories of a less cynical time, villages emptied of men. But on contemplating the tense stillness of the night, the darkness dotted here and there with sparks, on sensing that insidious silence, she wondered, vaguely, what the hell might be festering out there. What grows and what rots when you're looking the other way? What's going to appear? She whispered to herself, pretending that as soon as they passed that lamppost, or that one, or that one, she'd see what it was that had been going on in the shadows. Maybe a whole slew of new things. Maybe even some good things. Or maybe not. Not even in make-believe did she get her hopes up too high. Welcome everyone to Homies and Lit, Episode 3. You just heard an excerpt from Signs Preceding the End of the World by Yuri Herrera. That will be the topic of discussion today. We're going to dive into things like immigration, translation, and overall just a general sense of belonging. Um, I really had um, a hard time trying to breaking this down and I think Randy did a, a really good job of helping me see things from his perspective and I really think you guys are going to enjoy this uh, this exchange of dialogue guys I hope you enjoy Welcome, everybody, to episode three of Homies of Lit. So as Nelson told us, we'll be talking about Science Preceding the End of the World by Yudi Herrera. So a little bit about the author. There isn't really much that we could find about him online because he is relatively new to the American reading audience. But Yudi Herrera, he's a writer, a political scientist, and a professor. Um, he got his first degree in Mexico. He's originally from Mexico. Um, and he got his degree in political science, went to the United States, got a creative writing degree um, in El Paso, and then eventually got a PhD in Hispanic language and literature. So when you read this book, you see he has a very strong control of the language. It's very concise. It's only 107 pages long, so you can easily read this in one sitting. And he currently teaches at Tulane University in Louisiana. So that's all we've been able to find about him. But today we are going to be talking about primarily translation and immigration. Um, one, because this book does follow um, a protagonist named Machina, which in Spanish means machine, for anybody who doesn't know Spanish. The plot is quite simple. It follows her on the search for her brother who has crossed north. There isn't any explicit country name, but when you read it, you'll realize the United States. And she essentially gets the help of several underground bosses in her native country, which we can assume is Mexico, based on certain references. And that's literally it. She's just going on a journey to cross the border. But throughout this journey, again, she has to kind of interweave herself with both the underground, the mob, but also has to work with what people typically refer to as a coyote, 
uh, which is a person who helps you cross the border, right? But in the book, they kind of strongly push against the characterization of Coyote because it kind of has the animalistic um, connotation. So the first thing we're going to focus on is the title, as we have for the past two episodes. And the title cues us into the end of the world, right? So when I first picked this book up, um, when it was originally published in 2016, I thought it was a post-apocalyptic novel. And I read the back. There wasn't really much of a description. There was just kind of like quotes gassing up the author. So then that made me want to read it more. And then when I read it, I kind of didn't understand it and what the end of the world was supposed to bring for me or was supposed to be the connotation of it. Um, but we have several theories now after having, in my case, read the book for the second time and Nelson for the first time. But our primary theory is that the world that is being referenced is Makina's world in particular, like as a person who is looking to leave her native land and go into a foreign country. And the different steps that she takes throughout the process, the assimilation, the constant translating of her culture to accommodate her host culture, because they never really accommodate her, which you'll see in the book. And the constant way she kind of has to put her body at risk when she's interacting with men or when she has to cross a river to get to the other side of the land, when she has to go physically through the border and when she's stopped by cops. And you see she constantly has to break herself down in order to make it through this process. So our theory is there. Uh, we're laying that out in the beginning so that we kind of have something to work with and break down throughout the rest of the episode. Do you want to break down uh, Makina as a character for us? Yeah, so the story just kind of jumps right into the shit here with what she got going on. Uh, so pretty much no idea how fucking old she is. I'm pretty sure she's an adult. Yeah, yeah she yeah, I was guessing, like, maybe, like, late 20s. Yeah, she got, like, a job and shit, so, you know. I just assume she's an adult. She also has a younger sister. Anyway, yeah, so pretty much right in the beginning, they just tell you that her mom pretty much sends her to go find her brother, who just, you know, he crossed, like they said. She works at um, pretty much, like, yeah, a switchboard for, like, the phone lines. There's some some other shit, There's some not cell phone shit like and just to add to that yeah they they literally like mentioned that when people come into their village with cell phones like the village you get so excited because they've never actually seen a cell phone before and never actually seen someone use one before so yeah it's like literally there are no cell phones here they just have a switchboard yeah so that's what she does there so she's uh fluent in three languages one of them being English or Anglo, what this is what they say in the book, and uh, Spanish, and then there's a third, God knows what, right? But she knows it. Yeah, so she's pretty much just set on on her own. Pretty much her whole like her whole dig is like she's about to go find her brother because he went over there looking for some land or some shit that they were supposed to have, and pretty much she has like a fucking hero's journey laid out for her if you think about it as far as how it's set up like she's like has like an, a start and an end and there's all the in-betweens were laid out for her at the very beginning so she knows that she has to go i don't remember their names it's like mr q or mr pierce she's like that. i'm sure randy knows yeah, mr q mr h and mr w yeah there you go right and so pretty much like what's gonna what what ends up happening is that she she gets sent to these people and they're not you know upstanding citizens and shit you know there's some shady motherfuckers right but anyway like for some reason her mom has some connection to these people and they're gonna help her get across 
And if you're thinking like, damn, that's a terrible, like there's hardly any details involved in the description. Well, that, that's exactly what the fuck they tell us in the book. I'm talking like you open the first page and you're in the middle of someone's life. It's literally just how it is straight to the point. Um, and that's what we know at the very beginning. And just literally the whole story, which is not really that long. Like Randy said, you could read this shit like in one sitting. Uh, the story, it starts there and it just continues to progress with what she's seeing and what she's doing, which I don't even think it's in. I don't even think it's in a span of a long time either. No, I kind of got the like the sense that it all took place like within a week tops. Like it was just like quick action. Like it just kept going, going. We only get a reference of her sleeping once. Yeah. Yeah. So that shit must have been like two, three days or some shit. And that's, you know, if she didn't sleep like at all. Yeah. I think that's partially why he probably decided to make it like this would be technically called not a novel, but it's too long to be a short story. So they call it a novella, um, which has a different connotation in Spanish. But they do tend to still be dramatic because they have to pack so many things in a small book. Um, But in this case, he kind of again, the plot is so simple that it almost seems uninteresting. But I think that's the interesting bit about it. You just you I mean, if you live in any city in the United States, I mean, arguably, yeah, probably any city in the States, but any major city that has a large immigrant population, particularly like a large Mexican, Central American population, those are the people that um, immigrate to the States the most across the border. You kind of get like the general narrative, like, you know, people have crossed and, you know, more or less like either they left some family behind. Typically, it's a guy who crosses first and then the family follows like the husband, the family follows like two years or something after. But you never get the in-between. And I feel like this book is supposed to serve as that in-between. And for her, honestly, I mean, it's as Nelson said, it's like it's it's a bunch of fucked up shit. Not all fucked up, just a lot of things happening in a very short span of time. Like the first thing you get at the beginning of the book is an earthquake happening, literally swallowing a person whole. Makina, she says to herself, I'm going to read this section. says, I'm dead, Makina said to herself. And hardly has she said it. Then her whole body began to contest that verdict, and she flailed her feet frantically backward, each step mere inches from the sinkhole, until the precipice settled into a perfect circle, and Makina was saved. And that section, I think, kind of just literally sums up the entire premise of the book. Like, it is definitely like an epic journey, which an immigration narrative should be framed as in general. I mean, because motherfuckers are literally crossing from, in some cases, a village they've never left in their lives. And they're crossing through this massive country or just a massive span of countries, right? Depending how far south you're coming from or crossing a body of water. And then you have to go into a foreign land that you don't understand. You might not actually speak the language. You know that they're particularly racist there. And you're probably not going to be welcome. The beginning of the book, for us, kind of symbolized the the fact that Makina could be consumed by her world. There's an earthquake happening. She almost falls in, but she has the instinct at the last moment to just jump out of it. Then she ultimately decides to take up her mother's wishes because initially she was reluctant um, and she goes to see these bosses and she goes to see her brother because i mean in some ways as the beginning is cuing us in right it's her world is eating her alive it's consuming her and in a lot of ways she just wasn't meant for it so i kind of want to focus on that for a bit in the ways like how she navigates herself throughout this world again we know she's a translator speaks three different languages and she tells us or the narrator it's not first person but we're told that 
she is very heavily relied upon in the switchboard because she's the only one that knows these three languages and the only one that has a strong enough grasp on it to be convincing, right? Like they wouldn't question her because she does have a firm grip on English. Again, it's not say it's called Anglo, which they also use as a verb, which I thought was kind of interesting. I'd say he Angloed it, which at first I thought was funny, but then when I really like considered it, it's just showing like Americans are, and just English speakers in general, because I mean, it's, it's the global language, right? They, they have this idea that like everything has to revolve around English and this doesn't fit into English, then it doesn't exist. And she, she talks or the narrator tells us um, that she has a fear of losing herself throughout her journey. And which ties in, I think, quite neatly into what we're going to talk about, which is what she does to sustain herself throughout the journey uh, as a means of survival and whether or not we feel she's lost herself or she's continuing on kind of building on who she was in her home country and now who she's going to be in her new country. Yeah. So like Randy said, uh, she was respected uh, in her little village or whatever. It, it even goes to the point to say that like these guys who again are some shady individuals, I guess uh, they don't really tell us what any of them do to be honest. So we don't actually know. Um, but what we do know is that they know she's pretty much, she's not telling, she's quiet. She knows how to be quiet and they make a reference to that. So pretty much like she really knows how to navigate her world there. You know what I mean? She knows that, you know, some shady motherfuckers are doing some shady shit, but that's got nothing to do with her. Essentially. She's not saying nothing, you know, you know, I don't know how the switchboard works, man. I mean, now switchboards a lot easier where like you're directing the calls to different places, but you're the initial person taking the call. So for instance, like if someone's calling from the United States and they want like the president of Mexico or the ambassador of the United States, she would take that in English and then translate it in Spanish to the ambassador. And then she would connect the calls and they'd speak to each other in whichever language, presumably English. Yeah. See, that sounds like some bullshit. So that's what she, that, that, that's what she's, she's doing that shit over there, you know, because they don't have cell phones and shit. Anyway, the point is, is that from the very beginning, it seems like she stands out from her crowd there. Like she's a big help, but it's obvious that she's uh, an outsider. Let's just use that one. Like she's, she knows the, the languages, but she also, you know, she feels like she's the glue there. She even references at some point when she does leave, like, are they, how, who's going to operate the switchboards while I'm gone and shit, right? Yeah. And so, like, how she navigates herself around there, um, yeah, pretty much she knows she's useful, but also she uh, pretty much, I, I guess, trained herself to live in a male-based world. And she's also trying to teach her sister, her younger sister, who pretty much just gets briefly me- mentioned, uh how to navigate in a world that's dominated by men. Yeah, she goes like right before she, uh, she tells us right before she leaves like on this journey that she gives a talk to her sister about how to, one, how to deal with men and how to navigate their world, right? Because she very much describes it as like, this is a man's world and I know that. And there's a reference on page 18 where she tells herself like she has certain rules of conduct and one of them is you are the door not the one who walks through it she definitely sees it off like she's a path towards something but she doesn't get to go and embark on that path she's opening up you know these spaces for other people typically again men but she doesn't actually get to enjoy or experience these things 
which is, I mean, honestly, quite sad, but also just speaks to, I mean, one, how, I mean, how strong a role men have in general in society, but particularly like within Latino societies, like men just have this very strong belief, right? That they, they are the center of the universe. Like everything the woman does has to serve them. Everything the family does has to serve them. There really is no way around that. And at least for me, like growing up, I kind of like going to friends' houses and because we didn't really have many Latino men. Now I think about it, I'm not sure we had any Latino men in our household. Like we never got to experience like that aspect of the culture, but like being with other friends in their households, like just seeing, or even when I studied abroad in Guatemala, if we were all sitting at a dinner table, for instance, if the father wanted something, the daughter had to get it. If the daughter couldn't get it, the mother had to get it. And if not them, then the grandmother. Like, usually it seems like it's a matriarchal society, right, within the family. Like, grandma is, you know, almighty. But this kind of, like, it constantly references to the fact that women don't really have much say in this world. And actually, aside from uh, Makina, her mother, her sister, and one woman they come in contact with, I can't remember any of the women that come up in the story, but there are a fuck ton of men that just randomly pop up throughout. But anyway, that was a caveat. So Makina, she teaches her sister, who just shows up very briefly. Basically, men present themselves to be extremely dominant and extremely strong and powerful, but they're actually very fragile. And she gives her like a list of different things to remember. And the one that stood out to me the most was her saying they've got filthy mouths, but they're actually fragile. Like, and that's something you should know. And this is how you need to work around this. And she kind of uses that in a lot of ways throughout her, her journey, right? When she's talking to the three different bosses, H, W, and Q, I believe it is. She, when we get a look into her mind, she says, I know I could talk this way. I can be more firm. I can be more assertive, but knowing how volatile these guys can be, I have to just refrain and I have to stay quiet and I have to kind of operate using my body language. And if they're just ogling me, which happens several times, like men will just be staring at her. There's one reference of a guy like staring at her crotch and she's surrounded by like seven other dudes when she crosses the border and the only woman there, but she kind of just has to play as though she's not a threat and as if she's not being threatened in order to just survive, which is extremely fucked up. Even beyond that, like she uses translation a lot, which I thought was pretty cool. And um, one bit I thought in particular is when, and if I get something wrong about this scene, correct me, but she's going, she goes to a hostel, um, or at least what I assume is a hostel, because she says she walked into a room and there were a lot of bunk beds. Um, and she said there were mostly men there. Um, when she's leaving this hostel, like she realizes that all these people are also crossing the border and they're kind of going there to meet the people, the non-coyotes, right? To meet them so that they can cross, so that you can help them on the journey. And there's this kid that kind of like tries to manhandle her and cop a feel and she fucks him up. She literally breaks his finger. But him and his friend, they were on the bus with her. They get to the hostel. When she's going to leave to meet with her dude, she overhears the two guys that are going to help them. They're speaking English. They're basically saying how they're just going to use them as bait to help the um, crossers who had more money get across. Her knowing English, she cues off 
the two kids, even though, again, like she didn't have a good interaction with them, but she knew that they weren't going to be treated as humans, that they weren't going to be treated as equal. So she just brushed that aside and cued them into the fact that these dudes were going to fuck them over and that they were most likely going to be caught by ICE in the U.S. and that they would probably be in a detention camp, right? So, like, that's just one thing that, for me, really stood out as a way that she really just... She goes back to the things that... I mean, at home, she calls deer, right? The switchboard, which, as Nelson mentioned, I thought was kind of funny that she... One of the things she worried about was, like, who's going to operate this and who's going to translate... Um, for the people, but she realizes that she holds a very important role, right? Like if you can't translate the difference in between, then you'll never be able to make up and bridge those gaps, right? Like you're always going to be struggling to get across just as like in her case, she had to cross water and she was struggling to wade water without the help of the person that helped her cross. But I want to kind of talk about when she actually got into her next country, when she actually crossed into the border. I feel like a lot was happening at once and it was almost... At least for me, it wasn't immediately clear that she made it across when she made it across because the transition was just so jarring. It just seemed like one moment she was in the process of getting through things and the next she was just there. So, yeah, I want to kind of talk about that. Like when she gets into what we can assume is the United States, what they call up north, like what what she experienced and what happened after that. Yeah, so I'm gonna assume like like you said, you don't like necessarily know immediately that she's that she's there, but I also feel like that's because she hasn't even come to terms with the fact that she's actually there because when she gets there, she's uh, you know pretty surprised. You know, she's walking around. Obviously, you know she doesn't know anybody or anything, and it's not like she's in the nicest of worlds, right? Because you know she passed by, and I guess she was like going through like alleys or some you know some shitty shit in the beginning, you know. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, she said she passed underground. She took, like, bundles and uh, railways and shit like that. Yeah, so she passed, uh, you know, she went through the hood and shit. But to her amazement, she's, like, strolling through restaurants and shit like that at, at some point, right? And to her amazement, she sees pretty much a lot of other motherfuckers who made that same cross. And she comes to find that, or she says, like, we're everywhere, pretty much, like, they're on all the restaurants. They're like at the stores and shit, but they're not just there. They're cooking and shit, cleaning, doing all that. They're like, they're like fueling this world. And also to jump back to like the beginning, they talk about people who made that cross and how they come back different. They talk different. They are different, but they never knew what it was that they were doing when they get over there, you know? Yeah. And she comes to find out that they got like the day-to-day down over there. They went over there and they're like a part of society and shit now. And that's a realization that um, she was happy with. Cause she's just like, I don't know if she actually says it. It's like Mexico's everywhere or some shit like that about the food. Hmm. Yeah. Well, she was basically, yeah. Cause again, they never, he never like explicitly says it's Mexico, but he does. Yeah. She does say like, we're, we're everywhere. Like, you know, we kind of exist. Yeah, because she's like, everywhere she goes, she could smell the food and shit. She was taking it all in, and it was a lot to take in. Like, again, we're just under the assumption that this was, like, at most a few days. She was, like, fucking blown away, pretty much. Like, a whole new world, but, you know, things she wasn't expecting to see. Another thing that was, like, so unknown to her is uh, black people. Um, And literally, so, like, the first black person she ever seen is what they say. Yeah, yeah, so they... 
I mean, I'll start with uh, like the the food and kind of like the omnipresence of her culture. But yeah, so she gets into these spaces. She goes through the restaurant. She passes through. I'm pretty sure she passes through a store. Um, she goes to a baseball stadium, and she realizes that one she can still talk to everyone there, the majority of the people there in her native language, right? They just say her Latin tongue, which again, we can assume is Spanish. But she also goes through there and she sees that a lot of them look like her, right? They're keeping this system alive, right? And there's a reference um, that comes literally around the end of the book where the person that helps her cross um, in reference to people in their host country, right? The United States she she tells him she's like you know i don't really understand what this is like why is everything so separate like when she goes into when she crosses the border she's like i see all these signs that are pretty much there to guarantee and ensure the safety of the people here but it's not actually safe from what i've heard and what i know it's not safe and she remembers that her brother wrote her in a letter once he says like over here it's so lonely cuz everything is so spread apart like people are so separated. There's a line that he said that really stood out to me where he's like, there are no city centers for streets to radiate from. And for me, that just kind of like encapsulated everything because when you go to, at least like when I was in Madrid, the city center is where everything started and literally all the streets culminate there. You can come back straight to the center of Madrid. And the same thing in Sheila in Guatemala, you start at the center, all the streets branch out from there until you literally reach the mountains, right? Like it all comes back and it culminates in the space. But in the States, we don't really have that, right? Like, it's just like, what can we plot where? Like, we just need to make the most capital out of this space, out of this particular thing. And he says, you know, he's like, they're, it's lonely, but they have a lot of things. And it just points to like, for her, something that stood out was the shallowness of the American experience, right? Like, People here don't really interact as much as they do in their homeland and in a lot of other countries, but they have a lot of things. And for them, that's what's more important. It's about having your own shit, having your own capital. And then just from there, you know, you have whatever people you have in your life, but that's not that's not a primary thing for a lot of people. But going back to uh, the guy that helped across, his name was uh, Chucho, I believe. He says, he's like, you know, in reference to Americans, he's like, you know, they don't understand it either. They live in fear of the lights going out as if every day wasn't already made of lightning and blackouts. Like, I read that shit and I was like, God damn, there are a few lines in this book, like as a quick side note, like that I thought were extremely poetic. This one stood out a lot because it kind of points to like the forgotten people in the United States, um, some a lot of which are immigrants, right? Like when you, like in, for instance, last month, and I think still, um, a lot of census data has been taken inside the country, right? And so everyone who is a legal resident of the country who has a legal address, they have to fill out the census form, right? And you mark your race, you mark ethnicity or your multiple races, ethnicities, you know, whatever. Um, but... A lot of people can't file under the census because they're not legal residents. So they kind of fall through the cracks, right? And I mean, literally the beginning of our book, the section I read earlier is about Machina almost falling through the cracks and about a man who did fall through the cracks and he was consumed by the system there, right? And him saying like they live in fear the lights going out as if every day wasn't already made of lightning and blackouts. Like there are so many people whose lives are just blacked out so that our system can continue to function. 
all these people that she sees in these restaurants and these hotels and these stores, they exist, we can say, where the blackout is happening, right? Where the lightning is striking. They are cast aside because America doesn't want to present that image of itself. Because if America presents that image of itself, then they have to admit that they can't exist, that we can't exist without immigrants, right? Without people who aren't originally from here. In a lot of ways, with people who don't look like the standard image of the United States, which is white, right? Uh, Chucho continues that with speaking about how the United States needs immigrants and how they need people from different cultures to keep the country alive. And that really stood out to me because, again, when I first read the book, like, I mean, I was reading it in the middle of uh, college exams and shit. I just wanted something to distract myself. And I thought it was going to be something it wasn't. But it didn't. I think I wasn't in the right headspace to properly consume it. Whereas now there's so much goddamn time that, you know, like, if anything misses me, that's my own fault. Like, it really, this book in 107 pages really encapsulates what it means to be an other, right? Or to go off the theme of our last episode, an outsider in a different space or even within your own space. Like, she didn't feel like she really belonged, particularly in her home country. She said she was useful, but she also talked about the city. She calls it, I think, in the beginning, right after the excerpt I read, she called it a slippery bitch of a city. Right? Like, it's always out of your grasp. You're never actually going to have it with you, right? But it's going to consume you if you allow it to. And then she goes into this new place, and she realizes that her people are all there, but they're not really represented. Like, when she says things about up north, the country up north, she only sees the whiteness. She sees the money, right? But that community is missing. So, yeah, we thought that was... That that was, I mean, a key point in the book, but also like on the on the idea of the census. So something that I actually read about, I'm pretty sure it was in 2017 it was announced, but Mexico announced that for the first time ever it was going to include black as an option on its national census, so that black Mexicans could be recorded under census data. I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening to this are going to be like, "What is this motherfucker talking about? There are no black people in Mexico." But let's be real. That's bullshit. There are black people everywhere. The inherent belief that black people don't exist in Mexico, I've always thought was ridiculous. But Mexico, like they finally acknowledge that, yes, like we can't hide the fact that there are large black populations and African descendant populations in our country. One example being the port of Veracruz, where a lot of slaves came in. Um, it was one of the biggest ports, actually, during the slave trade. Anyway, so Makina, as Nelson mentioned, there's this huge fixation, like in sections five and six, or not four through six of the book. On um, page six, it literally says, like, this kid Makina sees who's black, says he's the darkest kid Makina has ever seen in her life. And then it jumps into uh, on 77, she has an interaction with this guy who lives in the house where her brother used to live, and he's black. And it, it, they bring it up again. They're like, you know, she wasn't expecting to see a black person. And he asked her, he's like, were you not expecting to see a black person answering this door? Like, do only white people exist in the United States? For me, like, that hit two points. One, that, again, like, people of color are often left out of the mainstream image of the United States. Like, I mean, we've been talking about that for two episodes, and we'll probably talk about it, you know, for all of them in some way or another. But also that idea that Mexicans aren't familiar with blackness because black people don't exist in Mexico is just, I mean, I'm glad that it was pointed out. I mean, I think he could have done a better job. Uh, for me, that was one thing that um, I think he fell short on. 
um, because it came off as kind of the unfamiliarity with blackness and like that otherness. It just seemed like it was kind of an impediment to her, to what her image of this place was. And I guess maybe the point was to showcase the flaws in the system. But yeah, I just felt like it was something that could have been built on. But um, we did think that was an interesting connecting point again, like thinking about um, who's included and who isn't like in term, in Mexico, like black people just aren't in, included in the conversation. And, you know, after the census data is recorded, you know, maybe that'll actually, I mean, probably not, but maybe they'll actually change some things in that, you know, they're represented now. It's like, okay, we have this large swath of the population that's black. Now we can actually push for more resources for them because the government is finally acknowledging that they exist. So, yeah, there's that point. But I want to go back to our beginning talking point, or at least talking about the title about the end of the world, right? Because it kind of like permeates in your mind, like throughout the entire book, like Machina has an encounter with this rancher who's on the border, who's kind of like trying to do some citizens arrest shit. And he pulls out a gun on Machina and Chucho, and she actually winds up getting shot, which I just remembered now, because it kind of just gets brushed past. Like it didn't actually happen, but she got blasted, I think in a rib or something. Um, you know, it was like through and through, but still she got shot. But yeah, kind of like focusing on like what the end of the world means, like in the context of this book and then what it means maybe on like a broader, uh, in the broader scheme of things. Yeah. So real quick on, um, a few things when talking about how, um, I'm going to like hit all the points and then zero back in on this, the end of the world notion. So like Randy said, like she's starting to realize, uh, or they, they like to make a mention of how um, Chuko says it, how they are an important part of functioning society, you know, and nobody, and people try to like, you know, they overlook that, let's say. Yeah. There's actually uh, an interaction that she has with a police officer. I'm not going to read it because then we'll just be giving away all the cool shit in the book, read the damn book, right? But there's 10 lines in here where she literally like it's you can open a book. If you read those 10 lines, it would be the summary of what we're talking about there. As far as, you know, immigrants having a place in society, it's uh, I think there's like the best 10 lines in the book. But read that shit and you could tell us what you think. Um, that being said, also with uh, Randy's like uh, view on how she views black like black people, because, uh, yeah, they've really pointed out like damn, like, she sees a black person, right? Like, this shit was, like, whoa to her, like a fucking new, a marvel to her, right? Yeah. The author, Yuri, I think that, that was the exact, like, feel he was trying to get because I, oh, let's just be honest, while, you know, we, we could talk about how, you know, whites and, and the prejudice between whites and blacks and stuff like that, but we also got to think about how, they're, you know, there's still prejudice amongst even the other minorities and how they feel towards each other. And, you know, some people are still amazed at what the other, like what the blacks are doing or what the Mexicans are doing, like, like amazed. And we all are in America and they'll still be amazed at some shit. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Like how they manage that, you know? Exactly. You know how many people who are American born would knock on the door that we talk about and the black guy opens and he's like, what'd you expect a white person? You know how many people who were born in America would expect a white person right now, even though they're minorities, they would expect a, a white person to open that door. And I just feel like when I read it, I'm like, dude, that's like, it, that's exactly the, like, I felt like that's the exact reaction that she probably would have had because for whatever reason, 
even amongst ourselves. And it's something I don't think we talk about enough, but we did touch about it back in episode one. Um, how we feel like a lot of people just feel like, damn, we can't do that. We can't have that. So, for example, we would expect a white person to open that door. I'm not saying I would, but you know what I mean? We as a whole in this part right now. right? Yeah, so I just want to throw that in there. Now, back to when she gets into it with this fucking rancher who thinks he's about to be a vigilante and shit and get some shit going. Uh, yeah, so she gets shot. It actually goes in between two of her ribs, but it doesn't hit any lungs or anything. It just goes like through. So for those of you who've been shot, are like, yeah, she's good. You're right. She's good. Haven't been shot went through and through. You're good, man. No organs. You're straight. Dog. So she was good. And they don't like get too deep into it. Like it, it burns and she's bleeding heavily. And believe it or not, for have, having been shot a few times myself. Yeah, man, that's pretty much it. Like the shit burns and the shit bleeds, dog. Like if it don't hit no, no organs, you're straight. Well, she should have. Should she have kept running? Probably not. But what's the point of standing there? Fuck around, get shot somewhere internal, right? Yeah, so that she, was my thing. Though. I was like, she got shot. She continued running. Like I feel like you'd lose a lot of blood in that case. But they just like kind of skirted over that, and I was like, well, her name's Machina. She's a fucking yeah, machine. she's a fucking machine, right? Yeah, like me personally, like I, I was shot in my leg a few times, so it's like, dude, I remember just moving around and losing a shit ton of blood. Just moving, like I wasn't going anywhere. I was just like turning around to look. Yeah, and I was just still bleeding. You know what I mean? Like I was sitting still and I was bleeding like a motherfucker. So I can imagine someone taking the fuck off like that and yeah. just bleeding out of their side. But you know, obviously that wasn't the point. But I just thought that was funny. For those of you who've been shot, yeah, I'm I'm sure you guys have the exact same idea that I have in my head right now, right? She has this encounter, and for a minute I'm like, damn, she just got popped right now. So this. <laughs> Shit's about to go real bad for her. Like, she just got popped off. The cops come. All kinds of shit. This dude, Chucho. I thought Chucho was about to get smoked, too. Like, I yeah, just, I did, too. Yeah. So, Chucho got... He got shit taken care of, dog. Because he, he he went at dude. Dude start popping off rounds. The cops come. And whatever the case may be, they didn't finish him off. And he hurt either. So, this rancher was in over his head. Okay. Like Randy said, bro. I grabbed this book. It says science proceeding the end of the world. It's like the fucking desert is the damn picture on the cover. So I'm like, okay, this is some post-apocalyptic shit or what happens before the world ends. And then, like he said, the back, they're gassing this man up. And then there's this little tiny sliver that pretty much says, like, it's Machina. And she's smuggled into the U.S. carrying a pair of secret messages, one from her mother and one from some pretty much some mexican shysters right um yeah you don't know what to expect but turns out like the end of the world is more of uh what's the word randy figurative yeah it's like yeah it's a figurative term yeah because like i I really think you got to figure it out and i guess that is what we're trying to focus on here um and like in the beginning like randy said like it's talking about like fucking there's like an earthquake and shit and she's like about to be consumed and then she goes Actually, you know what? Then there's a point where she's crossing the water. These are small points, but still relevant to what we're saying. She's crossing the water and, well, she can't hang with that shit, bro. She needed to do his help because she was pretty much just assuming she was about to drown and die at that point, right? Like, there's just multiple times where, like, very early, from the very beginning, there are multiple times where you stop and think, okay, it's over with. Of course, you think she's the protagonist. Maybe she's going to live past, you know, the first 10 pages and shit. But you never know because they just jump right into the story. But the point is, is there's plenty of times where she herself feels like she's at the end of the line. 
And you read it and you look at the title, it's like signs preceding the end of the world. And if you think about it, there's so many signs of the times in this for her, though. Really, in my opinion, these are the signs preceding the end of her world. This shit is super zero focused in on her. And I, I do feel like, yeah, it, it's a it's like a real good concentrated, let's use that word, concentrated like story. Like it really focuses in on one person's idea and like literally no one else. You know what I mean? Like, you know, in the outsiders, there was, you know, um, we talked about it and I, obviously it was Pony Boy's Pony Boy story, right? But he spent time like talking about other people and yeah, shit. Yeah, there were like eight different dudes. Yeah, they, we, we, we had to scoop on everybody and shit. But this is just about Makina, you know what I mean? And it really just zeroes in and it touches so many points. And I'll be honest with you, I was reading, there's 107 pages or 110, some shit like that. Until I got to page 82, me personally, I'm like, which 82 is the end of chapter six. If you have, I'm assuming the one translated version that they currently have, this book is not old. Yeah, it's called 10 Other Stories. They published uh, my edition. We'll mention it again at the end of the episode, but it's the only available copy in English. Yeah, so for y'all who don't read Spanish like us, it's the only fucking copy y'all could get. So that being said, End of uh, 82 is the end of chapter six, right? So anyway, so I was reading it the whole time and I'm like, man, uh, I get that they're talking, you know, she has her struggle. She's, she's immigrating. I'm like, okay, but I'm a U.S. born motherfucker, man. So I'm, I'm really trying to like, okay, you know, again, in this podcast, we're, we're really trying to look at how different isn't really different. You know what I mean? So I, I, when I'm reading, mind you, this is my first time reading it. But I'm also trying to see, like, okay, I'm not trying to force relation here. You know what I mean? I'm trying to see what pops for me. You know what I mean? And so I read damn near the whole book. And I'm like, yeah, man, this shit's fucked up. But this story isn't going to relate to me. It's going to relate to a lot of people I know for sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's not going to relate to me. So I don't want to speak on it. So page 82, pretty much she just starts talking actually about, which I think was just something I wasn't expecting to see in there. It's just one of those random things. It's uh, a whole bunch of uh, same-sex marriages going on or some shit at the same time. That yeah, there are like several like ceremonies happening. Yeah, and it's not the fact that it's the same-sex marriages. It's the fact that up until that point, when you hear about people who came up um, north, up to the U.S., it's like, um, you know, they come back. They don't know us anymore. They don't talk the same. They pretty much lost their accent. They don't remember how it is out here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, man, fuck these motherfuckers. They think they're too good for us. But at that point, she starts to rationalize and think like, you know what? Maybe over here they know people who don't just, you know, fucking up and leave their family. You know, maybe over here, you know, they they know good people. Uh, she talks about never seeing a happy family, but maybe there's happy families here. Yeah, pretty much just kind of rationalizing it. And then, of course, she's like, or maybe they're just doing it for papers. But the point is, it's like there's a million reasons that they could be doing it. And the reason I thought that, okay, now I started to go jump back and I started to think this is finally where I could actually speak on something because she came to a world unknown. And when you come to a world unknown with all those, you know, all those notions that we have, like, man, fuck these motherfuckers. They think they're too good for us and shit. Old boy fucking dipped off. In our case, old boy left the hood. He came back. Now he's trying to talk to us using these big ass words. Fuck yeah. that dude. He on bullshit now. He think he better than me. I smack that motherfucker. You know what I mean? That's what they on, right? And she goes there pretty much with that in her mind. She ain't talking like that. It's not as hostile because another point I'll touch on in a few minutes is that people actually do just start treating them like they ain't nothing when they, when they, you know, from their experiences up here versus over there. For whatever reason, like she talks about like not seeing black people and like, man, 
there's so many of us here. The point is that she took this huge ass leap, like pretty much with no backstory. Imagine just waking up one day and you just got tossed into a whole new world. Like, cause that's pretty much what happens in this damn story. That's where we have our footing um, as far as being relatable. And that's where the different isn't different, right? Like we say, there's just different ways to learn the same lessons, right? Uh, she took on a journey. She went, you know, she went to a whole new country. I mean, you've been overseas. You've been, uh, you know, Spain, Guatemala, fucking China, anywhere else. I don't know. But, you know, you've pretty much, especially I think when you went to China, because we were from here and then you just fucking plopped yourself off over in China and shit. And you didn't know a goddamn, you know, you didn't know a goddamn soul. You know what I mean? And that's what I mean. She came over and mind you guys, she didn't come over like I'm going to start a new life. She just came to find her fucking brother with all intents on going back. So she came and she was blown away. She was overwhelmed. She starts to rationalize and realize that maybe it's not all bad. Maybe there is something for us here. You know, maybe I can, you know, make something of myself here. And she finds her brother, guys, which I thought was going to be like some big fucking like breakthrough moment. Yeah, it kind of, I mean, it all builds up to that moment. I feel like it, it, it's like a plot driver, you know what I mean? Yeah. She had to have a goal, because otherwise she'd have had no reason to go there. Yeah, otherwise it's crossing the cross like we need. Exactly. Let me just slide on over there for no fucking reason on the weekend and go through all this extra danger, right? You know what I mean? So she finds her brother. I guess to put it short without throwing away all the details, because this is a short book, pretty much he's got his shit. Uh, he, he's doing pretty well up here. He kind of just treats her like whatever. Like he talks to her. He tells her he's not going back. Um, he doesn't plan on it. Doesn't really embrace her like a sister, like uh, he, someone he loves and misses. It's more like, hey, what's up, man? You found me. Yeah. And um, really not emotional anyway. Yeah. And then to that point, that's exactly the kind of people that they talked about would be coming over there from the U.S. Their assumptions of how people act aren't exact they're not right they're not wrong you know what i mean it's hit or miss he just happened to be the kind of person that people worry about coming back thinking you know he didn't come back but they worry like you know they they lose their sense of i guess who they are at least who they feel like who they are you know those over there think that's who he was that's not him anymore he lost himself right but he's embraced his life over here you know what i mean and he has no intent on going back in my opinion there's no way to not give this part away and have this fuck and come to this conclusion. And it's that she has the opportunity to stay there and have a life. And I guess at the same time, and maybe if there was a few extra pages, you'd know if she ultimately decided to do anything, you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like that was the real plot of this fucking book was all those were the signs preceding the end of the world, but that was just her life over there her previous life and she entered this whole new world where she sees that her people are out there and they're contributing to this society and her brother's doing well out here even though he fucking rips her heart to shreds by just treating her like a you know a passerby right but i feel like personally the, all those were signs preceding the end of the world but that was for her but it wasn't necessarily in a negative connotation but at the same time who knows? Because they don't fucking tell you. I guess that's up to the reader to decide, right? And I feel like those signs are all pretty much, it really depends on how she takes them. I'm just going to assume based on the personality her character has or the personality they, they have us to believe she has, right? Um, she's going to use all of that shit as a precursor of what not to do and who not to become. 
for example, she was really, really guilty and concerned about what am I going to do with this whole like switchboard thing? And she had like all this integrity and all this shit over there. Right. And she always talks about how when people come back, they kind of they sort of lose that. Honestly, I'm either way. Maybe she will fucking stay or maybe she will go back. Who fucking knows? There's no way of telling because the book the book ends on that note. Right. But if she's if she doesn't go back. Yeah, I do feel like she will one most likely try to stay amongst like her people there and help in any way she can being that she already knows English um, because she makes a good point with that where she's translating amongst people even when she's over there like some relationship shit you know what I mean over in her hometown and she finds that she's like that sort of mediator which she deems as an important you know something really important to kind of help mediate between the two people you know and of course you know there's a lot of people that she comes across that don't speak English there's even someone that talks to her brother that's practicing English it sounds like he's making no damn sense but that's because he's practicing talking in past tense present and future it's like he's talking about the future in the present. Yeah, because he's he's like trying to learn that language and stuff like that. Um, I feel like I'm not going to lie, man. I, like I said, I read almost a whole book and I couldn't really find anything. You know, I'm not. that's the thing. When I'm reading them, I'm not looking. You know what I mean? I feel like if the shit's going to pop, it's going to pop. So for me, like I said, when she started like rationalizing, I, st- I felt like, OK, here we are. So for me, it was hard to. I guess connect because this is a little more, I guess in essence, when you think about like the bare bones of the book, like the plot line, it's really hard to relate it to even myself or you. But I think where, uh, which I I guess I'm glad we read this one over because it's more of a challenge for me to kind of get a breaking point on explaining because I feel like the first two were easier for me to relate to, you know, everybody in the hood. You know what I mean? This one's more of a challenge for me because it isn't situated around that. Yeah. But what what it is, it's picking up and going to a different world and pretty much immersing yourself and having to make a decision with who, you know, how you're going to be, who you're going to be. All the negatives and all the positives that you that you bring along with you when you're going to this new world based on not people's experiences, but really just people's opinions that they just kind of inherited from someone else. Yeah, I mean, like that. And I think it's also, you know, deciding like who and what you'll become like for me one of the things that like stood out because she mentioned it um or the narrator i keep forgetting she's not first person narrator but um there's like as early as page 20 they talk about like mocking us fears of assimilation and then when we jump into section two on page 25 it says that makina can't lose herself like this is the first thing we're told and then they say, like, nah, not really lose herself, like, go down the wrong road or, you know, miss a certain tree, but, like, lose herself for real. And they say in the hills, um, in the hills that are in the hills and in all the living flesh that had built or paid for places. And it's like she can't lose herself in the squalor and she also can't lose herself in the greed of it, right? The capital, like these people, they're living on the hills. She can't lose her mind there. But on the other side of this road, she can't lose herself in the mentality that like, this is just what I'm going to be. I'm just going to be a laborer and I'm just going to give myself so that people can make their lives better. Or I'm just going to sit here while other people work to make my life better. Like, and that's why she goes on the ground, right? But I think for me, one thing I really related to is just like the idea of being lost. Like it's, it's very, it's heavily fixated on, I think that's why in a lot of ways, um, 
they that he wrote the interaction with her brother being her brother writing her off to showcase like he's lost touch with everyone that came like everything that came before him like his world's already ended and these signs are all showing up for her because right because like there's there's signs proceeding out of the world so we know the world's going to end right her world is going to end for me like what i really related to is that idea that when you walk into a new space and she was only there for two days presumably right she was there for a few days she already felt like she lost so much of herself. I mean, her own integrity, her her culture, her people. She felt like she wouldn't be able to talk the same way. That she just wouldn't, after going through all these things, she wouldn't understand them the same way and they wouldn't understand her. And this is where I, like, I'll segue into like what I think the, my theory of what the book is really about is just about kind of everything that gets lost in translation. Like when I read this book, I thought about when I thought about this whole Lost in Translation thing, I thought of the movie by Sofia Coppola and how kind of like they're in Japan and they're getting lost. It's basically this guy. He's an actor. He's going to Japan to film commercials for a whiskey thing. And this girl who's with a photographer, they kind of like build a romance while her husband is off, you know, doing his shit. They're in this country. They're not really they don't speak Japanese. So they're kind of lost together, like in the, the scenes. Right. And in this book, like. You know, they're translating languages, they're translating cultures, ideas, like even the idea, like in terms of culture, like baseball, they talk about baseball and compare it to American imperialism, saying that baseball is just Americans celebrating themselves for all the military bases they have around the world, right? Like this is the idea they hold outside and there's an idea we hold inside, but those ideas are never going to fully come across because when you're translating, like things are always going to get lost and... As Nelson mentioned, she was translating for two people who had uh, were having relationship issues. And she purposely, and she acknowledged that she did it because she was telling us, they told me this, but she would literally chop their sentences like in half and just say, you know, here's my summary of what she's trying to say instead of saying exactly what she's trying to say. And in a lot of ways, like, I think that journey across the border the narratives we get are the journey summarized, right? It's the end of their world summarized. We just know that they left this behind and that all these things are there, but who actually act, like takes the time to ask, what all did you leave behind? Like so many people were fucking professors. They held degrees. They were doctors in previous countries. And then they come to the United States and they have nothing, right? And their degrees don't mean anything because America holds this belief that, you know, only we can grant fucking worthy medical degrees and law degrees. Like, so much gets lost, right, in that translation of I'm going from Mexico to the U.S., I'm going from Rwanda to the U.S., China to the U.S. Like, so much of you is lost and in a lot of ways, like, will never, will never be again. And I just thought that was extremely relatable and that, again, the kid going to college, the kid going to the military, like, starting a career, like, trying to come back to the neighborhood or trying to come back to your country, to your culture, it's never quite going to be the same. Yeah, so one thing, guys, um, if you guys don't know what assimilation is, let's see, by definition, it's the process of taking in and fully understanding information or ideas. In particular, we're talking here more about, um, correct me if I'm wrong, cultural assimilation. Yeah. Um, you know, and she talks about it in a book, too, like where people like they're having conversation right over there and they start talking and in, in Latin. So let's just Spanish talking to Spanish then these motherfuckers start sliding into some English shit right and then they start talking well obviously we would know is fucking Spanglish right so it's like they're talking in, in Spanish and they're talking in English and then they just threw, they combined it and they just made their own 
she talks about that, how like, you know, she's, she's afraid of losing one or the other. So that's what that is, assimilation. Also, yeah, Randy has strong points on, on how he feels about like feeling lost stuff. Um, I myself, not that I haven't felt lost. I just felt like, I don't know. I think when I go somewhere that's foreign to me, in the beginning, you know, like I, I start to feel alienated and shit, but I immediately start to rationalize. So I hear Randy's point. And also, guys, there's a, um, this is a perfect example of reading the books. Obviously, it's a good thing to do, right? But also um, engaging in conversation with other people who have read the book. One reason why Randy and I, I think, were, uh, make a good team for this is because we view things very, very differently. And we have our whole fucking lives when we were younger, I think I rarely agreed with things. I think I went about things the exact opposite way, in fact, as Randy had. But having this conversation, for example, uh, I read the book and I came to my own conclusions. But like I said, uh, it took me 82 pages to come to even one to, for anything to pop, right? And when talking with Randy, um, more things start to, I, I want to say, make sense. But they also, you know, they start to open up more pathways and, and more things start to pop in your mind when you start to think about it. And that's why it's real good to have someone to engage with. It's real good to talk about conversation because the thing about um, books, which I've learned across is reading these three, and actually we're in talks of uh, another one that I've already read. And a perfect example with that is, is that I'm having a hard time really understanding the breakdowns of that one. And so we have to have conversation about that. And that's what we're trying to do here, guys. But, you know, engaging your own conversations with other people. And it, and it, I know they say talk with like-minded individuals, but the thing about reading these books is that while they, you know, they have a set format on page, they're so totally open to so much, so many different interpretations. And I think that's the that's the magic and power of uh, fucking reading these books. And, and that's what they're writing and doing because they can have a million messages. Hell, the writer could be trying to portray one thing and someone else could take a totally different feel to it. And, it, and it's not necessarily right or wrong. And I think that's how we're going to bridge the gap. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, to build on that, the book is the dialogue, right? Like, it gives you the set themes and things to talk about. But from there, you can either, again, like certain things I agreed with and disagreed with in the book, and Nelson didn't. But that's the entire point. It's like you get all the perspectives so that the next time you read it, if you like the shit, read it again. If you don't, read it again to figure out why you didn't. I do that shit sometimes. Like, it just, it opens up an entirely different perspective for you, which is why, I mean, we definitely encourage just an open dialogue about anything you're talking about. Again, it doesn't have to be, you You come to see very quickly that people who you think are like-minded aren't quite as like-minded as you think, but that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? You have to embrace that difference. But on that note, this wraps up episode three. Again, this book, uh, Science Proceeding the End of the World, it did win the Best Translated Book Award um, in 2016. The year it was published. That's the highest award a translated book can get in the country. Uh, published by And Other Stories. They have a few of his other titles as well. Um, so you can find that. Um, if not at your bo local bookstores, you can probably find it on the press's page. It's a small press, so I'd say you know support them as best as you can. And yeah, like us on any social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Homies Alit. Be sure to subscribe um, so you can get all our future episodes, leave reviews and comments. Um, shout out to all the people who have left reviews and have messaged us. Again, shout out to our brother Nico for putting together um, our themes and for editing and mastering all the audio. 
Yeah, I'm your co-host, Randy. And co-host Nelson, signing out.